0: Hello everyone! Welcome to SecTools podcast by Infosec Campus. This is episode fifty, and it's a big achievement for having like fiftieth episode uh, talking to developers and tool authors. Uh, so it's fun, right? And uh, today we have a special guest, Angelina Suboy. Uh, if I pronounce your name correctly. Yep. Suboy. <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. So Angelina um, had definitely some interesting. Uh, portfolio and, and seems to be like a very perfect fit for the 15th episode. So I'm really, really great to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be on the show.
0: All right. The first time I heard about your name uh, is definitely from uh, an open source project. And I did a bit of research about like, who is this person and what th- what this person is doing. How this is connected to like information securities, and I noticed that uh, for the last forty-nine episode, I had hackers and open-source tool authors who uh, tinker and hack around things that's on the ground. And this is the first time I'm having someone Mm -hmm. who hacks uh, something above the ground, uh, something on the aerospace spectrum, and and that's super fascinating to me. Then I started digging more deeper about like what is this person doing? And like what are the other projects that the person is doing? So I'm expect, I was expecting everything will be in the aerospace spectrum. Like we'll be creating some SDR um, libraries or, or um, tool components, but turned out I was wrong. She's someone who developed Chrome extensions, someone who developed an iWatch app, and someone who also built an open boy for tsunami de- detection and that blew my mind. And who is this, who is this person? Who are you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, yes. I think I have a very eclectic engineering background, but it's all tied um, to exploring things I'm really interested in through using technology and engineering as a medium. Um, I think all the projects I pursued are very solution oriented. So whenever I'm perceptive about a problem in a community, for example, aerospace, um, that's began by just tuning into problems. I so when I worked at NASA, um, we there was a lot of talk about space vehicle systems, but one thing I, one topic that was very neglected was the security that was running those systems. So. That was a problem and I chose to partake and tried to brainstorm ways to solve that problem. And as a result, I developed a lot of open source tools within the aerospace spectrum. Um, other pro- problems I've tackled are um, tsunami detection buoys. For example, a lot of current and modern tsunami detection systems are very expensive and make inaccessible to researchers in countries that don't have a lot of research funding for tsunamis. So I, I decided to make an open source and affordable buoy design to tackle that problem. Alongside the other software systems and mobile application solutions I made, those were all s- focused on the problem at hand as well. For example, Pocket CPR, which is an app, um, an Apple Watch app I created to help teach the basics of resuscitation, that was meant to focus on a problem where I had a lot of hard times trying to teach myself CPR in an online setting during COVID. I was like, oh, I'll get a CPR license um, because I I had a lot of free time during COVID. And I was like, CPR is a good skill to learn, especially if you're in an urgent situation, but the compression rates and the timing didn't make sense to me in an online environment. So that's how that problem um motivated me to pursue a project. So I think everything has been about being perceptive about problems or subjects I'm really interested in and then pursuing it through a project um, using my skill sets and learning things on the fly.
0: It is interesting to uh, listen to that because ultimately okay we we call it in hackers communities that, okay, every hacker had ultimate mentality of like problem solver. Um, yeah. And rather than just finding bugs and like, you know, point fingers at each other, we are trying to solve problems. We're trying to s- build a system that's better for the humanity. And what a good way to start a new year. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, happy to uh, talk to you and, and for the new year episode. And um, the the first two uh, points that I wanted to actually highlight, the projects that I want to highlight is like SAT, Intel, and Flycatcher. That was um, somewhere yeah. more closer to the security aspects. It's kind of like connecting the aerospace spectrum to cybersecurity. So wha- how was yeah. your journey to cybersecurity? Like, uh, is it academic or is it your hobby? Um, I know that yeah. you're a pilot and you you your flying is your passion and hobby and... Mm-hmm. I don't know if it I can call it as a work, but it's it's something that you have fun doing it. And but you're not just flying an airplane, but you're trying to find, um, as you said, it's they are not built with security in mind. Uh, a lot of these machines are uh, built for the usability first, and um, not for the cybersecurity aspect of it. Like we will we, we yeah. don't we don't really think about, you know, a hack can happen on um, airplanes until we see some Twitter feeds, um, someone posting, you know a bootloader screen from an infotainment system from an airplane then we're like whoa what is this thing yeah um so how was your journey um shifting or rather sliding from aerospace to cybersecurity?
1: yeah that's a great question i think i just serendipitously ended up in it because it was a nexus of three things that i was really passionate about aerospace systems um, security and development and it all began with development i i started programming i think about a decade ago i have a lot of experience doing it so um, i was always built with the um, paradigm of engineering and developing things in mind i always love building things I'm, i i don't think i've ever had a day where i haven't worked towards building something it's just something i really love to do and it's what a wonderful feeling um and I got into cybersecurity a few years ago after stopping by a workshop on hardware hacking and I got a job subsequently at a startup developing cybersecurity solutions and none of that was aerospace related um, until about a year ago. So So when I was working for that startup, I got a really good understanding of like Wi-Fi systems, SDR hacking, just like the general network forensics, OSINT, so forth, Um, but it wasn't aerospace focused. Uh, When it became aerospace focused, um, it was during the phase where I was doing an internship at NASA. And at NASA, I got exposed to a lot of like aerospace systems knowledge and um, the infrastructure, and I got exposed to a lot of um, the underlying infrastructure behind space vehicles. And just by being perceptive about the problem, there, there wasn't a lot of initiatives, especially in that sector, for securing space vehicles. And it just naturally came together, where things just intertwined, and I got deeper into the ends of airspace. And then from there, I was just trying to think of ways to contribute to the open source community, and that's where the idea of Satintel came along, where I was doing a lot of investigation with satellite systems and especially trying to do like open source intelligence with them. It was pretty difficult because I had to like parse through multiple websites um, in order to track down satellites, find TLEs to get satellite reconnaissance information, um, like find what time a satellite is going to pass over me so I can intercept the signals. And I wanted to find a way to automate and streamline that process in a very visual and intuitive way. So I developed a framework using a programming language called GoLang in order to make that process of tracking down satellites easier for developers and security researchers. Um, another project I worked on that you mentioned is Flycatcher. Flycatcher is a device that scans the ADSB frequency. ADSB stands for Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast and is a communication system uses radar for planes. So, um, it's a way for pilots in the air and people on the ground to track down the planes, where they are, their velocity, altitude, and various other relevant telemetry. However, the problem with ADSB is that they were built by a lot of aviators. So um, it wasn't built with secure by design principles in mind. It was just a bunch of pilots who were building it initially. And that causes a lot of problems because ADSB is unencrypted Unencrypted and unauthenticated, meaning any ground-based hacker could spoof or fabricate a ghost aircraft, meaning they can make an aircraft show up on the ADS-B system that doesn't exist. And you can imagine how much chaos that could um, ensue from that, especially in busy airports. Let's say like a person on the ground tries to spoof a seemingly real aircraft in the middle of LAX. And then our traffic controllers who regulate that would get very confused. It would cause lots of mid-air collisions, um, lots of flight disruptions and so forth. So I wanted to use my maker skills in order to tackle that problem. So I got access to a software-defined radio, um, Raspberry Pi and a 1090 megahertz antenna. And I rigged together a fairly rudimentary device to scan the adsb frequency collect the data and then feed it to a uh, neural network which is a machine learning algorithm to detect for whether or not a aircraft is being hacked or not to Mm -hmm. safeguard that systems and I think like being a pilot um also inspired me to do it because as a pilot I was using adsb every single time before I would fly and I think it just gave me a lot of empathy for the situation like if I were be put into a situation where um there was a spoofed aircraft at an airport it would be very very um, scary especially like it would cause so many collisions and disruptions and i guess it just gave me this visceral feeling that i i need to do something to help tackle the problem because there was not a lot of initiatives at the time that was trying to tackle it
0: i see mistakes on those machines actually can cost um, life um, and it's it's yes. definitely like a serious yeah. problem to have, uh, but I want to like go back to the um, uh, more more fundamental aspects of it and and maybe it's a yeah. lame question, like in in when we like test servers and apps um, as a layman term, like we have we actually follow like what attack surface we need to look at, or yeah. in more simple terms, like there is a standard that we actually can go forward uh, refer to mm-hmm. and and. Uh, see that, okay, these are the test cases I need to perform to make sure that yeah. systems are secured and and certified they are they are safe to use in production. Yeah. How do we know about the uh, security spectrum of aerospace? Because these machines are compli- mm-hmm. complex and they yes. are, on top of it, they are using a lot of SDRs and that kind of um, expands mm-hmm. the attack surface to, not just with the person who is on the cockpit, but like anyone who act who can access that um radio frequencies can get access to these machines or or see what's happening there right
1: mm-hmm. but that's
0: the nature of these systems but how do we know let's say for example like a- aircraft spoofing is one attack tactics that you try to solve with fly catcher like what are the other type of attacks that you're aware about in the uh, aerospace
1: yeah so um in the aerospace field, there's a wide range of um, attack surfaces. Um, a lot of them, surprisingly, I didn't know this when I was beginning, but a lot of them are communications-based. Mm-hmm. Um, planes are a good example. Satellites, drones as well. Um, for satellites, so the communication between for satellites relies on a communication link founded between a ground station and a satellite. Especially for communication satellites, all communication satellites do is relay information, mm. and satellite and those satellites were founded upon the fact that um, radio towers on the ground are um, the signal transmitted by those are oftentimes attenuated by ground-based objects like buildings. Like it's really unreliable um, to send signal through a really long distance if you're using radio towers because it's gonna. Clyde into like fountains, buildings, all sorts of things. So what a communication satellite does is it's orbiting in, in space and it takes this um, signal from a ground station and then repeats it back to another ground station, in another location on earth. And it allows for transmission of signal through a vast range of distances. And it's used for uh, radio broadcasts, television broadcasts, um, especially for international applications. And um, the problem with that is a lot of satellites, um, the first satellite that was deployed was uh, during the Cold War uh, by the Soviets, so like 1960s or so, and those satellites are old. They and they weren't built by Secure by Design principles and the communication links for those communication satellites oftentimes are using either proprietary encryption protocols or no protocol at all. So um, it's pretty easy to use a software-defined radio and an antenna tune into those frequencies and you can eavesdrop it. Or if you have a strong enough transmitter on the ground, you can jam those communication links. Spoofing is also very common. Um, One attack against uh, GNSS satellites, which is um, the satellites that are responsible for GPS on your phone, um, is GPS spoofing, where you can take something like a HackRF and spoof a fake geolocation um, to trick a satellite into thinking that you're located in another place on Earth. Um, so that, that, that's a huge like um, attack surface for satellites. Drones, they also have a lot of um, insecure protocols. For example, a lot of drones, especially commercial ones, use Zigbee, which is like a, a variant of Wi-Fi to um, relay information between a pilot who's trying to control the drone and the drone that is being operated. And those communication links, you can also eavesdrop into it. And also, commercial drones, they operate on Wi-Fi, which is in the 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz range, making it vulnerable to a lot of Wi-Fi attacks. So you can spoof things, send malicious signals, try to override the drone. So you can do a lot of things Mm -hmm. in that regard. And then lastly, for aircraft, like I mentioned, ADS-B. It operates on the 1090 megahertz. So you can take a software-defined radio or a transmitter, eavesdrop into it, um, and transmit things that shouldn't be transmitted. So a lot of, I would say, a vast majority of... um, attack surfaces within the aerospace sector are either commu- communications or signals intelligence related
0: this reminds me like um a season when when all the hackers actually go to las vegas for defcon and black hat and mm-hmm. uh, there is there used to be like multiple screens on twitter uh, or multiple multiple photos on twitter that you know the, the infotainment systems are actually showing bootloaders or someone actually showing that hey there is a usb port here <laughs> Uh, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, and uh, like how extent we can um, access these devices because um, I remember when Charlie Miller and not wrong, Chris uh, did the car hacking till, th- till that time no one was actually talking about car hacking uh, no one was talking no. about the security of cars uh, it was supposed yeah. to be just driving you put the fuel in and you just drive to your destination that's it but suddenly there was a bunch of discussions started coming up and a lot of researchers started comp- getting into these aspects. And there are companies who are investing in uh, building secure systems uh, to protect uh, these machines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from your experience in aerospace securities, um, how how are the industry doing in terms of driving these machines toward security, um, as in... What has been built in the past? Uh, it's already built in. It's also already shipped into the aer- aerospace. It's the satellites are already there, and I don't know. Like, yeah. h- are they software updates or like how does these <laughs> machines work?s so I have no clue about it. But but yeah. today, when when in, when you work in like your, based on your experience in let's say NASA or other um, aircraft engines, when they build these machines, is security is is an aspect? Like in web, mm-hmm. back in the days security was not part of the development cycle, but today it is. It is very common to have security as part of any web or server deployment. But what are we doing or how are we doing in the aerospace spectrum?
1: Yeah, I think things are heading in the right direction now. Um, Obviously back in the day, security wasn't really um, the most prioritized. So a lot of the satellites, especially the old ones, it's hard to even, most of them don't even have software updates. It's you're like, oh, we just one time deploy a payload there, and it just runs the the um, one line of like payload code that it had years and decades ago. But now we're seeing more initiatives and more programming um, protocols put into place, especially for space vehicles like satellites. Um, one initiative, um, there's a international cybersecurity standard that is currently being developed that was spearheaded by um, IEEE members. IEEE is like a very um, renowned uh, Institute of uh, engineers um, who are renowned in the field that are contributing together in order to develop a global space security standard um, that is put put into place not only for like ground stations, but also for space vehicles. They divide it into um, four subgroups. So you have like ground, link, user, and the space vehicle. And then for each subgroup, you're trying to identify vulnerabilities and then ways you could combat those vulnerabilities. And they're really trying to hone in on various attacks that could occur and outlining secure by design principles. Um, and the DOD is um, already on that as well. As for the development side of things, NASA's JPL facility has a se- secure by design coding standard called JPL's rule of 10, where software that's deployed onto space vehicles, usually written in C or some low level programming language, has to adhere to standards, coding standards that are secure um, and making sure that they can't be exploited. Mm-hmm. So I think things are really heading into the um, a good direction, especially as we get more of these protocols standardized. Uh, yeah, and security has been much more prioritized now because we see because of the vulnerabilities intrinsic to them because uh, security wasn't very emphasized back then, a lot of, repercussions resulted as a fact of that. So um, we're learning from the mistakes we made in the past. And I think things are heading in a good direction.
0: Yep, great. And I also was reading about your initiative in educating kids. Uh, A question is like, what do you want to teach the kids that maybe from your childhood, you thought that this, if this information was earlier provided to us, you know the the way of learning or mm-hmm. the way of way of teaching. Like I used to think about that. Like if I had a teacher back in my school um, who taught about cyber back in the days, like I I, I could have yeah. been like introduced to the industries much earlier. Like this is just a dumb thought, but yeah. I'm I'm sure that most of the hackers or most of the most of the security folks out there will think at least in the same same directions. Right? Always have some uh, grievances about the academics education systems that we had. At least I have. Um, Mm -hmm. but I also blessed with the other like some of the really good teachers who gave me courage to go ahead and explore you know but not the whole systems but when you talk to kids uh, when you teach kids like what is your approach in teaching these young kids uh, in terms of building systems or what what do you teach them first of all
1: that's a really good question (laughs) yeah so one of the Main aspects of the work that I do is emphasized on education for young kids. I host numbers of workshops specifically for kids, and I've had the wonderful opportunity of like having speaking engagements and workshops where I had to have like hand hands-on interaction, um, teaching kids like electronics or like cybersecurity in a fun, fashionable way. And the reason I do that is I think kids, um, they're at a state of consciousness where they're so much more malleable and they're uh, way better at, like, it's much easier to change um, a child's mind than it is to change an adult's mind, in my opinion. Like, they just have, like, less dogma that's been enforced on them and their minds are more open to new ideas because a lot of the things they're seeing, they're, they're experiencing for the first time, so or see like whatever like a kid soldering for the first time they have like a very high fidelity experience because it's all new to them it's all very novel and they're more respective and that's why I like teaching kids they're very open-minded and I think if we're gonna um you know there's a lot of people in the world that are stubborn and rigid and like can't change their way of thinking and a lot of suffering and hatred ensues out of that and And I think some things you can change, some things you can change. And it's important to shift your focus on things you can change. And um, for me, in regards to the situation of like trying to change the world and make the world a better place, I think it's better to focus on educating people who are open minded and trying to um, get them into various fields like cybersecurity or electronics. Um, so they can solve those problems rather than focusing on people that's not going to change their minds like older people who just like are stubborn and resentful and don't really enjoy their lives that much the kids are so much easier to like influence that's why I focus on them and what I whenever I do engagements with kids, what I'm trying to think teach them is to think that's all I'm trying to teach them because if you know how to think the the human nervous system and the human brain is, Capable of so much more than we gave it credit for, um, and we're still trying to figure it out. We have millions of processes that are being run and conducted in the human brain, and you know humans have built really amazing like computers and these de- decentralized um, thinking devices um, that are really commendable. But we haven't really deciphered the human or reverse engineered the human brain yet, which is interesting, um, and. I think if you teach kids how to think, they're going to be able to apply that to every facet of their lives. Um, Problem solving is intrinsic to existence as a human being, and you're going to deal with problems um, in your life no matter what. So um, teaching them how to think about a problem, how to decipher a problem is really important, because. I I'm not expecting all the kids I teach to get into cybersecurity or to get into aerospace or whatever. I'm interested. In. I don't I don't care if they get into that. But what I do care is um, whatever field they do decide to pursue in their lives, they they know how to think about it. They know how to um, combat a problem solve being issue because life is full of challenges. Life is full of problems that are going to be thrown at you and um, that's what engineering is. It's about identifying problems and building solutions and building things to um, to tackle suffering and tackle um, deep problems in the world. And being able to think about a problem and break it down is really, really important. Um, so what I do with kids, like in cybersecurity workshops, is we're looking at a problem we're like tackling a CTF or we're um learning like how to solder stuff in electronics. A lot of kids um I'm always surprised by how much they're able to teach themselves and how much they're able to learn. Um for soldering there's no difference between teaching a, a child and teaching an adult. I, I think the learning rate is actually faster for children than it is for adults, which is surprising. But <laughs> Children are capable of a lot more than um, we uh, assume them to be, and it's very important to influence them when we are young to be able to think critically and explain to them interesting fields, because it really does stick with them.
0: It's difficult to like accept new things or or learn and explore. I think that I can relate to that
1: a lot. Yeah, when you've seen things done a specific way for a very, very long time, it just becomes hardwired in your brain.
0: Yeah. Um, You announced a great initiative last year, end of last year as post-Christmas, slightly before New Year. Uh, Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so I launched my um, laboratory called Stellarix Labs. Stellarix Labs is creating uh, solutions at the nexus of aerospace, software, and security. And what we're currently doing right now is we're trying to help um, bolster more educational content in regards to aerospace security. So before I did a satellite security course for Pentest Magazine, before I founded StellarX Labs, and um, I think it was one of the first of its kind. There was no really educational satellite security course before that. And I really wanted to make it more accessible and affordable for people who really wanted to get into the field in order to reduce the barrier of entry into space security, um, and also make more of the content pervasive and get more people into the field. So that's what really inspired me to start it. And I think it was a great way to tie three of my various passions together um, so I could develop products In that regard, I'm very excited. And it's only just starting. Um, We have a very small team right now, but I'm excited to see where it goes within the next year or so.
0: Well, uh, it's a great thing and wish you all the very, very best for that. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, Angelina. I think this was great talking to you, Uh, great sharing and and learning about uh, your knowledge in the aerospace spectrum. And there are so much more to do in that area. And it's very, very good to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a great honor to be on.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening. To all our listeners, wish you a very, very happy new year. We have been hacking and, and protecting things on the ground and also on the air right now. So let's keep doing that for another year. Have a good one.